Everybody's found a seat. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. And we hope that uh, we'll enjoy worshipping and our fellowship here together this morning. Why are we here in this place today? Well, first of all, our opening hymn has the answer to that question. We have come into this place, gathered in his name, to worship him. So let's sing together hymn 287 from Praise the Lord. Thank you, Peter. You are worshipped by joining together in prayer as we come before God. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for this time where we can come together and we thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you pour out into our lives. Blessings that we take so often for granted for our, our measure of health, our physical abilities, for the roof over our head and for the food and the clothes that we wear, for our safety, Lord, for those who care about us. We thank you for all these things. When we look around in the world, there are so many people who don't have any or very few of those blessings. We hear of so much trouble in our world, Father, a world which is full of danger and violence in many areas. And we thank you for our safety. And yet, we are saddened by all this suffering and, and want and need. And we pray for the day of the return of Jesus. We pray that that day might come soon, Father, and we might be looking for it. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for our fellowship and for our family here today. We pray, Lord, that you will help us make our family here a lampstand in the area a welcoming place in this world that is so indifferent to you and, and your ways Father help us to be a welcoming place for people who are looking for you Father God we pray for your presence to be with us here this morning be with us this day as we meet to celebrate the victory the victory that Jesus had over, over death and sin as we remember this by breaking bread and sharing a cup of wine between ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for all your care, and we ask you now to be with us in our meeting today. Amen. We look forward to the announcements, please, through our Richard, Brother Richard. Thank you. Care announcements have been prepared this week by Rosie, and Joe Richardson is preparing them for next Sunday. So Rosie writes, Mary has gone back into hospital again after a week with really bad pain and sickness from too high a calcium level. Both she and Jack need our prayers and love and care as they are facing such a difficult time. We pray that the medical staff will really be able to help Mary at this time. She is in Trafford General in the medical assessment unit. She would really enjoy visitors, but if possible, please check with Jack first as they are strict about only having two visitors at a bed. Gladys is with us again this morning, although we know it's a struggle for her to make it here. Marion, nice to see you too so often. We know that you also have a lot of difficulties to overcome to be with us, and we really like to have you with us when you're here. Pauline too is here uh, again this morning and appreciates the love and support she's given as she continues to struggle with day-to-day -day problems. Phoebe and Des, thank everyone for their prayers and support over the last few weeks. Des has still not managed to get work, so still needs our prayers for that but Phoebe is really pleased to have been offered a place at Sunderland, dependent on her results. We pray for all these members who need God's special care, and we ask you also to remember Hannah and Ollie, 
and not forget those we seldom or never see, like Haley and John Bonami, but also Pete Griffiths and Alan McGore and others who have particular problems at this time. Also this week we ask for special prayers for all involved in next week's gathering and all those coming to Old Trafford that we should all be blessed by God in our service and fellowship. Thank you Richard for those announcements. We're at the time of our, our service now where we <coughs> uh, have our pastoral prayer and um, if anybody has any particular issues they would like us to remember in our prayer, could you let me know now please? Thank you. Let's bow our heads then and pray, pray together. Dear Father, we come to you as a family now with specific issues that we'd like to pray about and bring before you. We think of Mary struggling with her poorly leg. Seems to have gone on for some time now. And we, we pray that you'll be with Mary and Jack. Give them strength and patience. And we pray that she'll soon be well and restored to us. And we think of the mums-to-be, Hannah and Lucy and Helen, in the days of their pregnancy, that all goes well and that the children are healthy and grow up to be healthy. And it's good to see Gladys and Marion and Pauline here with us. We pray, Lord, that we might support these sisters and keep them close to us. Let them know that we care about them. We pray for your blessing to be upon them, that they might go from strength to strength in their needs. Bless them as they, as they need, Father, we pray. We think two of the people we know who are ill with depression. We pray that you will be with them too, Father. Keep them in your care and that we might try and understand their situation. We pray that you will be with those who care for those people who are ill with, with depression, Father. Sometimes they need patience and strength. We pray that you bless them in that regard. And we think of Mary Richard's sister who has been made redundant, one of the blights of the world in which we live, Father. And we pray for people like Mary and Mary herself that they might find employment again and that you'll be with them at this difficult time in their lives. And Alex has reminded us of this little girl who's only two, who's got to have a serious operation on her skull. And the mother must be extremely worried. And we pray for that family, Lord that you'll be with them, that the little girl responds to the treatment and that she maintains good progress. Be with her, Father. And Lord, as the Fellowship Weekend approaches and we do our outreach work in many routine ways, help it not to be routine, Lord, but give us the strength and enthusiasm to witness before you in our outreach work, coffee mornings and Bible classes and youth work and the youth church. And of course over next weekend, Lord, we thank you that we can be involved in these things. We pray that you will lead and direct us and help us to strive hard to serve you. So be with us in all these things, Father. Hear our prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our next hymn together now. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. That sounded lovely from up here. I hope you enjoyed it as well. We're going to take our readings now.
we're actually just going to restrict our readings to the New Testament chapter, which is Acts chapter 2, and Sister Sylvia will lead us in reading verse 1 to 21, and Rosie will read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Thank you. The book of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of, of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy 
in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Sylvia and Rosie. As we move towards the focus of our morning, the breaking of bread, let's sing a hymn that leads us to think about fellowship, which I think Malcolm's going to talk to us about in his exhortation. It talks about seeking for fellowship. It talks about having fellowship. And it talks about how we are bound together in fellowship through Jesus Christ. That reading we've taken from um, Acts chapter 2 is the, really the, it's like the beginning of an, 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 beginning of an avalanche, teeth, isn't it? It's the beginning of the great witness of the, the church in um, New Testament times. And it's a work that's gone on and on and, and we're called to put our hands to today as we live our lives and, and witness for Jesus Christ. And yet I suppose many of you, like me, can have some feeling for Thomas who struggled to believe unless he saw the risen Lord. And when he did see, 
He believed. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and, and, and don't see. And that's where we need to have faith and trust and a belief, isn't it? Followers of Christ, in the main, are called to um, believe without seeing, if you like, in a physical way. Instead, we're called to seek the Lord while he may be found. To look for him, knowing full well that we won't ever see him physically. And I was thinking the other day about a verse I saw in Psalm 119. It says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Now the psalmist wasn't going around with his eyes closed, was he bumping into everything? He had his eyes open, but he wanted to see deeper. It's talking about spiritual things, isn't it? Not physical things. It isn't the physical things. It's not really this, this bread or the wine in a physical nature. One of the striking things about the, the gospel records, about the crucifixion, is it's quite brief. It doesn't go into any detail about the physical nature of the crucifixion of Jesus. It doesn't go into the detail of the physical suffering. It just says they scourged him, they crucified him, they spat upon him. It's about spiritual things, isn't it? It's not the physical things that really are important. And it's what we're here to do this morning is to open our eyes to the wonderful things in God's laws, to the wonderful things, the promises that he has made us, to open our eyes to the ways of Jesus. So as we share this bread and this cup of wine, let's not dwell too much on the physical, but let's dwell on the spiritual, on the why. Why was it that Jesus came? What was it all about? Why Jesus gave himself for us? How much he cares for each one of us in our individual situations. He's aware of, of what we're facing. Let's concentrate on how he shares our sadness and our sorrows, on how he shares our joyfulness, and how he joyfully accepts the smallest thing we can do as a witness and as a gift for him. And above all, let's concentrate on the spiritual aspect of his forgiveness. Let's dwell on the spiritual, the fact that Jesus, in his love, paid the price of the greatest debt that we could ever owe. There's a lot of talk about debt in the world these days, isn't there? But the greatest debt we could ever owe has been paid in full. And the simple things on the table before us remind us of that fact. They've been smashed and defeated. So let's look more and more to Jesus Christ and his love for each one of us. So that verse again that I read I think was quite relevant here. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Ask David now please to lead us in giving thanks for the bread. Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege to be here this morning to worship you and to be able to offer our heartfelt thanks for all the blessings that you shower on us. Now we're going to share in bread and wine. And as we take the bread, it, it reminds us, as it must, of the body of our Lord, of your Son, given for us. And inevitably we think of his death. But we think, of course, much further than that. And we thank you that he gave his life 
And we thank you that he rose from the dead. And we ask that you'll help us to to think about all these things as we share together in this bread. For we know that the Lord Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And uh, as we've read, he is at at our, our right hand. And because of that, whatever we do, we will not be shaken. For he is with us and we have your grace. So here is now we pray. Accept our thanks for this bread and bless it to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This bread is a reminder of the offered body of the Lord Jesus. Ask our brother Roy Marshall please to lead us in giving thanks for the wine. We come to celebrate the victory that you, our Father, and our Lord Jesus have gained over sin and death. We seek a blessing now on each of us as we take this wine. It is a symbol of the blood that was poured out for the sin of the world. We recognize that we are sinners and without this we could not be in fellowship. But Lord Jesus, you said if you were lifted up, you would draw all men to you. And we are drawn to you. And we pray that day by day we will be drawn even closer to you. So that in all that we do, we might honour you and honour you, our Father. Bless us now. Grant us your forgiveness and your help, we ask. Amen. The wine represents to us the poured out life of Jesus Christ. Let's sing together such love, pure as the whitest snow, such love, weep for the shame I know, such love, paying the debt I owe, oh Jesus, such love. Now we look forward to words of exhortation, please from Brother Malcolm, thank you. Good morning everyone. Not so long ago, I was asked if I had a vision for our church. And phenomenal things do happen if we have a vision and we follow it out. Just ask the the Apostle Peter. There was that night he he couldn't sleep. He rolled on on one side and then another. He sat up on his, his mat and scratched his head then back on his back and he knew he should be asleep. The hour was late All of Jerusalem was asleep, but he could not. And just because he could pull a blanket over his head, that didn't mean that he could blanket out the memory of those happy people. And just because he closed his eyes, that didn't mean he could blanket out the memory of those happy people. And just because he closed his eyes, that didn't mean that he couldn't see those 3,000 individuals who made a decision to give their lives to his friend, Jesus Christ. Three thousand. Old men with stooped backs, young women with bright eyes, the rich from the city, the poor from the country, foreigners, locals. They came one after another. Three thousand people. Surely 
Peter was lying there on his bed that night thinking, how can you use me to do something like that of all people? To be part of something that significant. My, just a few days ago, I was cursing you. Now I'm proclaiming you, and look what happened. Don't you think Peter was asking those kind of questions? Don't you think the activities of the day of Pentecost kept Peter awake the night of Pentecost? The day that the disciples knew something was up, when they began to speak in languages that they'd never studied. The crowd thought that they were drunk, and Peter said, These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 15. Just turn to Acts chapter 2. That answered that question, but it didn't answer their their bigger question. So Peter set out to answer their, their bigger questions, and he preached what apparently was his first exhortation. And he opens up his mouth, and he begins to speak to those thousands in Jerusalem, telling them that Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And if you want eternal life, here's what you do. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. Those who accepted his message were baptised. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I suppose that's when Peter realised that something exceptional was going on. And Peter was right in the middle of it. Peter the old fisherman, the chap who made a living catching fish. But now he's preaching the vanguard sermon, still written word for word in the book of Acts. Don't you think he scratched his head and thought, surely you could find someone better than me. He saw 3,000 people become followers that day. And then within a matter of weeks, just a couple of chapters later, in your Bible it says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. You let each man represent four family members and you've got 20,000 people in Jerusalem calling Jesus their Lord, calling Christ their Saviour. Nothing common about their number and nothing common about the behaviour of this church. Note just some of the characteristics of the early church. The first church was marked by an uncommon addiction to fellowship. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. God is calling you to, to be an active member of the community, the family of God, 
We're called to have fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. I'll spell that for you. It's K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. And it means partnership or participation. We are called by God to share life together with a radical commitment. Are you sharing life with other committed followers of Christ? Now, can you have a real experience of God? Yes, I think absolutely. But I would suggest you can have perhaps a deeper experience of God when you share it with one of his children. Jesus doesn't say, when one of you gathers. He says, when two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst. Is there something missing in your life? Do you have a desire for something more? A deeper fellowship? Biblical fellowship is not just going to happen by accident, is it? You're not going to trip into it. You're not going to get a koinonia relationship by mistake. You have to prayerfully pursue it. At Blackburn's ecclesial family uh, weekend at Arnside, Brother Richard Aline asked us if we were devoted to four things that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And I'd like to share those with you. I'd like you to rank yourself out of ten, just brothers and sisters, in the same way. And if I remember correctly, here's what he said. Are you experiencing the Bible together? Are you experiencing the Bible together? Yes, it's important to to read God's word personally, but it's important to to read it together. What happens? Someone says, oh, I, I never saw this. And there's something powerful about God's word when it's lived through biblical communities. Are you sharing God's word with others? Are you sharing life together? Not just, hey, how are you doing? Give me a call. We'll, we'll have lunch. I hope he doesn't call. I'm, I'm, really a bit, I'm really a bit too busy. Or are you opening up? Do people know what's in your heart? Do people wake up praying for you? Do you wake up praying for someone else? Not your own. Not just your own life. And when you see other people... Your first thought is to invest in them and see how they're doing because they are your family. Are you sharing life together? Together in an intimate and a committed way. What's your score on that? Five, six, seven? Are you breaking bread together? We like that, don't we? Ten. Ten plus. We're here, aren't we? We eat together, we're talking about a, what I'm talking about is a meal becoming a spiritual experience together. Are you opening up your home and making it a a place for canonia, for biblical commitments? Are you making a meal a spiritual time? Are you sharing prayer together? Not just, thank you for this nice food, let's eat. Do we pray together about things? Touch God together. The the first 
church was also marked by an uncommon addiction to God. An uncommon addiction to God. They addicted them to spiritual development with the same appetite that you and I sit down at the table. They walked into God's presence and said, Feed me, I'm hungry. Quench me, I'm thirsty. And God nurtured them. They changed their lifestyles. They changed their peer groups. They had an uncommon hunger for God. They couldn't get enough. Not only did they have an uncommon addiction to fellowship, an an uncommon addiction to God, they had an uncommon affection for each one another. All the believers, we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. The church was one church. Yes, they might have met all over the city. Yes, they split into groups, but they were one church. No divisions, no factions. Surely they had differences of opinion, but they decided that Christ, the Christ who united them, was greater than the issues that divided them. They enjoyed an uncommon unity, and this unity created an uncommon generosity. How many of the believers were together? All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to one, anyone, as he had need. How much did they have in common? Everything. And it was amazing because they took what they had and thought, right, if I have some stuff, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. It belongs to God anyway. Take it. Help it get to the right place. And all of a sudden, we see needs being met through God by his people. You need rent money? I've got some. You need a a wheel on your cart? I've got two. Need roofing for your house? I'm handy. I'm available. Such comments, I think, categorised the personality of the first church. What a place. What a place. So just as an experiment, just as an experiment, brothers and sisters, who is willing to go and see that brother or sister who's lonely? There's someone who needs their kids looking after for a day. Who's available? When the, when the healthy hand touches the sick hand in hospital, I think the cross is seen in our community. When those of, of one skin colour reach out and embrace, embrace those of a different skin colour. When those of one economic status embrace those of a different. When we come together around the common cross of Christ, then community is formed. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. We could be active members of a biblical community and have eyes to see the needs and get the first hand personal joy of giving and receiving in the family of God. What a place and what a job. How do you manage a church of 20,000 brothers and sisters. I mean, 
This was an instant megachurch. Somebody has to figure out how to manage this crowd. Who is going to communicate with them? Who's going to divide them into groups? Who's going to prepare the bread and wine? Who's going to park the donkeys? Who's going to deposit the shekels after the collection? These were practical questions that someone was answering. Practical issues that someone was figuring out. Someone was managing the church. The church must have been blessed with uncommon servanthood because they were serving one another. How else could it be said? Just have a look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. One final characteristic of the early church in addition to their uncommon addiction to God and their affection for each other, they displayed an uncommon attention to the lost. An uncommon attention to the lost. They saw daily conversion. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. By the way, this passage tells us that Christ is the one who directs the affairs of the church. He is the one who leads you to a church. And he is the one who adds you to a congregation. And once he does, once he does that, things start to happening. They reached out, this church, to their neighbours and they reached out to the region. They reached out all around this area and because of persecution they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. They went everywhere and what they were doing was preaching the word. I'll just tally this up. Here's what an uncommon church looks like. A fellowship who do life together, an addiction to God, an affection for each other, and attention to the lost. We don't want to have the same outlook, do we, as the poor, the poor man who visited the mansion of his rich uncle. He'd never been in such a place, and he didn't know what to say. And his uncle was walking him through this mansion and showing him all the the antique furniture. And his uncle said, most of the furniture goes back to Louis XIV. And the poor man said, I can relate to that because most of my furniture goes back to the pawn shop. Now, he didn't realise, did he, that he was surrounded by treasures. Do you realise that when you are part of the church, you are surrounded by the treasures of God's grace? To, to whom else has the message of grace been entrusted? Who else is the purveyor of the resurrection story? Who else has been entrusted with the phenomenal sweetness of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ? You know the world needs hospi- hospitals. The world needs godly governments. But let me tell you, extract the church from the world and who's going to teach about God's love? Who's going to call people to worship? Who's going to urge husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands? And who's going to tell the world that Christ is coming soon? 
to bring peace to the world. We're surrounded here by treasures as a church and have been entrusted with much. That's anything but common, isn't it? Let me tell you, the days that lie ahead are anything but common. But you know what we've learnt? Change is nothing to fear. In fact, change is a part of life, of a growing family, a growing church. For there are schedule changes. There are certain things that never change. We can still preach the same Christ. We must still worship the same God. We must celebrate the same death, burial and resurrection. We must still believe that the same spirit of Christ that empowered Peter empowers the church today. That doesn't change. And for that reason, we can face these challenging times with a spirit of hope. And that's exactly what I'm calling you today, to do today. Pray for our children, our young people, our adults. Let's pray for an uncommon affection for God's people. Let's touch God together. We need to pray that God will keep us unified. And then when you're praying for affection for one another, let's pray for generosity. And let's pray for servanthood. The bottom line is simply this. God owns it all. And he urges us to give. You may have heard the the apocryphal story of the man who was baptised in the river with his wallet still in his back pocket. And somebody said to him, your wallet's in your jeans. And he said, that's all right, I want to baptise that too. Has our wallets been baptised? Who owns it? We surrender our problems to God. Let's surrender our blessings to God as well. May he open our, our hearts. May he raise up volunteers. You know that the Apostle Paul has a line for you that he wrote in one of his epistles. And it's in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Just have a little look. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. He said to volunteers, You shine like stars in the universe. Long before there were tom-tom navigation systems and maps, people navigated their paths by the stars, didn't they? And some of you are exactly that. You're stars in God's universe. May God bless you. May he continue giving us an uncommon addiction for him, affection for his family, and then finally and lastly, an uncommon attention to the lost. Leonardo da Vinci once worked for a long time on a great masterpiece, and standing next to him as he completed the work was a young apprentice who was astounded by the skill of his master. And just before finishing the painting, Da Vinci, according to the story, handed the young student a brush and said, now you finish it. The youngster resisted, he objected, he protested and he backed away. But Da Vinci said to him, 
Will not what I have done inspire you to do your best? Jesus gives you and me a kindred invitation. He really does most of the work in his church. He died for the church. His spirit empowers the church. He equips the church. He guides the church. He hears the the prayers of the church. But the work is not finished. And he hands to you and to me a brush. And he says, love the lonely. Feed the poor. Counsel the confused. Care for the children. Teach the lost. Take the gospel all over the world. God's kingdom has always been about going to where people are. That's what Jesus did for us. So I could just conclude with this question. Will you pray about this plan? But specifically, if you could go ahead and say, God, grant us an uncommon addiction to you, an uncommon affection for each other, an uncommon attention toward the lost. And may you, like Peter, know the privilege of an uncommon life. Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. When they look at us and they see Phobos, fear, oh, wow, I need to have some of this. When they see the fellowship functioning, they will run to it. My closing admonition is let's be a part of that kind of church. You and I don't want to be part of a church that just plays church. But goodness gracious, I could get so excited about a church that is built on prayer. In Acts chapter 2, they came together and prayed together for 10 days and a revival exploded out of that prayer service. One commentator said, the church prayed for 10 days. Peter preached for three minutes and the harvest was 3,000 people. And then said, we tend to get the numbers backwards today. We pray for three minutes and some are preachers for 10 days and we may see three people. Let's be people of prayer. Could I call on you to pray for your Jerusalem? Pray for your part of the world in which you live. Could it be that God has placed you where you are because he wants you to be the person who prays for them? May we be, that, be part of that sort of fellowship. May we be that sort of fellowship. That's the sort of church we want to be part of. Thank you, Malcolm, for those very thought-provoking words on fellowship and prayer and how we live our lives together. I think it's very fitting that our concluding hymn is from Praise the Lord, number 16, which carries on, really, the theme of our exhortation. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. For this reason, I stand before you, Father, 
from whom your whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches you'll strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To you, Father, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within each one of us, to you be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.